Amen. Let's take our seats together this morning. You have your Bibles. We're continuing on just on our Sunday morning uh, series. All these things must come to pass. Uh, we've been looking at the great falling away in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And also, then we looked at the man of sin uh, for three weeks. And then uh, just last Sunday, we looked at the mystery of iniquity. And this morning, uh, we're going to look at the holy restraint, the holy restraint, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2 and verse 1, and we'll read together verse 1 through the verse 9. Let's just pray as we settle our hearts before the Lord. Amen. Father, this morning we just pray again for your presence, for your help, and for your anointing to be upon your word today. We pray that you would give us ears to hear Give us understanding, Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes. Lord, we ask that, O oh God, that through the preaching of your word, that, O oh God, this morning your church will be strengthened and built up in, in its most holy faith. We pray that, Lord, even if there are those that are in our midst that do not know you as their own personal Savior, Lord, even, Lord, through the foolishness of preaching today, that you'd bring conviction of sin Lord, we realize and recognize and acknowledge the day in which we live. And Lord, we thank you that there is a word in season. And Lord, we pray this morning, Lord, as we open the book, Lord, that you would breathe upon it. And Lord, that your name would be glorified through the preaching of your precious word. Oh God, we just give you the glory and the praise this morning for all that you've done, for all that you're doing, and for all that you're going to do. We ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said it. Amen. Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, we're beginning to read at, at verse 1. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand, or it is near. Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, or the son of destruction, who opposeth and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. And we know the Lord will bless the reading of his word this morning. When we come to the subject of end times, the theological word is eschatology. Uh, there is a fundamental belief in the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The reality that as Christ ascended and the angels declared, this same Jesus shall return. 
And like fashion, there is a fundamental agreement within the Christian church that Jesus Christ is coming again, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a fundamental agreement that there is the great judgment day, the great white throne judgment when Jesus will judge the whole earth, all those that have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. There is a judgment day. And God will execute His wrath and His vengeance on that day on all them that have rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some differences or diversities in the timing of events. And there's different different, uh, titles or understandings in that. For example, pre-tribulation rapture, you may have heard that, or mid-tribulation rapture, or post-tribulation rapture. Uh, or amillennianism, and there's so many different uh, theological terms that are attached to these things. But what we know is, and what we believe is, that the Lord is coming back, and He's coming back soon. If, if, if you're in any doubt, you know, if you're in any doubt, whether you're saved or you're not saved in this room, saved or lost, if you have the ability just to stop for a moment, just to stop for a moment. And it's so difficult because there's so many voices, so many things, so many uh, ways and so many uh, deceiving spirits and seducing spirits in the world. So much deception that has infiltrated the world and is spreading across the world. But if you stop for a moment and just step back, it is very easy to be able, according to God's word, to realize that we are living in the last of the last days. And, and, and if you, this, this morning, if you're not saved or you're maybe cold in heart, I just encourage you to stop. Stop and just think for a moment and listen to the Word of God. In verse 6 in our reading, I want to draw your attention to it. We read there, And now ye know what withholdeth that he might be revealed in his time. This is referring to the revelation or the advent of the Antichrist. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. It seems language that's difficult to grasp or understand. The Amplified Version says this, And ye know what restrains him, that is the Antichrist and his kingdom. You know what restrains him from being revealed. It is so that he will be revealed at his own appointed time. There's a time when there be the revelation of who he is. For the mystery of lawlessness, the Amplified says, that simply means the rebellion against divine authority, that the world will turn and rebel against everything of this book and everything of God himself. And that's the age we're in. There's a rebellion against divine authority. And the coming reign of lawliness is already working. It began as we looked at the man of sin in those few weeks, way back at the beginning, post-Calvary, and last week we looked at it, immediately Satan, although completely defeated at the cross, it was not his end. His end comes when he's cast in to the lake of fire. And so post-Calvary, we know that Satan has been allowed to be let loose upon the earth, to wreak havoc upon the earth against the church of Jesus Christ. And here we see now it says that it's already at work, but it is restrained. Something holds back 
this kingdom, this Antichrist from being fully revealed until he who now restrains it, until he is taken out of the way. Something restrains the darkness. Something holds back the tide of wickedness. There's two words in verses 6 and 7. It's withholdeth and letteth. And in the Greek, they're the same word. It simply means to hinder. He who hinders the advent or the revelation of the Antichrist while the mystery of iniquity and sin works and abounds in the last days, something holds back the powers of darkness. Paul says, you know what's holding him back. Something is keeping him at bay. There's a restraint uh, from the Antichrist himself being revealed. Now, I, I believe, I believe, and I'll, I'll show you why I believe this. There is a twofold hindering or holding of the Antichrist. I believe from Scripture, I'll show you this in a moment, that the, the holding back and the lifting of that restraint is both progressive and then it will culminate in a sudden lifting of that restraint. The Bible tells us, this is why I believe it's progressive, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 13. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 13, Paul writes these words. This is what he says. But evil men and seducers shall wax, what does he say? Worse and worse. The Bible tells us clearly that, that men will get worse and worse how many people know that's what's happening? The depravity of man. You know, I read an article yesterday. I tell you, it disturbs the depths that men are going to in sin. And what this is what's in our streets. This is in the United Kingdom. The depths of where men are going to with sin. Men will wax worse and worse. They'll deceive and they'll be deceived. So we know that as the last days approach in the coming of the Lord... That this world, the societies in which we live in, are going to plunge deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into sin and darkness and depravity. It seems like there's no depths to what man will go to to practice sin. In the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels, the Lord used accounts of previous judgments to bring to us the revelation of when He'll come again. What happened previously, he says, as it was, so it shall be. So he tells us and teaches us from Scripture that what it was like, so it shall be in the coming of the Son of Man. We know, for example, when we come to Noah, a man who preached, a preacher of righteousness, in Hebrews 11 and 7, it says, By faith Noah, being warned of, of God of things not yet seen, he was moved with fear. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and the error of the righteousness, which is by faith. You remember the story of Noah. Genesis chapter 6 tells us that God saw the wickedness of man was great upon the earth. Iniquity was abounding. The cup of iniquity was full. God seen that. And every imagination of his thoughts, of his heart, were only evil continually. Man continually thought of wickedness and wicked practice. 
When you get into Genesis 7, verse 1, the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for I have seen your righteousness before me in this generation. Down in verse 7, Noah went in, his sons, his wife, his sons' wives with him into the ark because of the waters of the flood. And verse 16 is what it says. And they went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And the Lord, it says, shut him in. Now, if you turn to Luke chapter 17, where the Lord refers to the teachings of the previous judgments, in Luke chapter 17, the Lord speaking of His coming, remember there was a progressive wickedness. Men continually were thinking evil and sin until the day that Noah was brought into the ark with his family. Then we know the judgment fell. In Luke 17 verse 26, it says, And as it was in the days of Noah, these are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Exactly what it was like in that day, so it shall be. Remember, they were continually thinking evil. It seems to be that just evil has filled our streets, our colleges, our schools, our nation. It's continually evil. They did eat and they drank and they married wives. They were given in marriage. In other words, This became the normal practice. There was a normality of wickedness. It was nothing alarming. It was nothing to get shocked about. That's just the way the world is. That's the way we live. That's the way we do it. We're in the 21st century. Everything's fine. And so they live that way without any concern. And if you say anything or believe anything contrary to that lifestyle, then you're something strange from another world. Thank God we are from another world. And so they did eat, they drank, they married, they gave, until the day, until the day, until there was a moment progressively there was wickedness that was filling up and God seen it and God repented. And then God said, Noah, this is the day that you're coming into the ark. There was a day when the cup of iniquity was full. There was a progressive wickedness. There was a lifting of the restraint until there was a day God said, that's enough, Noah. Now you get your family and you come into this ark. And the Bible says that God shut them in. Then the Bible says here, the flood came and destroyed them all. Before we go on to the next couple of verses, the next man is a man called Lot. Genesis 19 tells us of Lot when the angels came to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And they asked the question in verse 12, Has thou any besides son-in-law, thy sons, thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in this city? Bring them out of this place, for we will destroy this place, because the cry of them is waxing. Look what it says, waxing. That word waxing means it is advanced. In other words, the the iniquity was increasing rapidly. God dispatched those angels that came in uh, into Sodom and Gomorrah, came to Lot, and they declared to Lot, Lot, have you any more family? You get your sons, your son-in-laws, your daughters, whoever, but you get them and bring them out of this place because we're here to destroy it. That's what they said in verse 13. Because the cry of them is waxing. The wickedness is so great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy this place. 
tells us in verse 24 of Genesis 19 that the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone fire from the Lord out of heaven and he overthrew those cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities and that which grew upon the ground. But his wife looked back from behind him and she became a pillar of salt. We know the story well. So in verse 28 of Luke chapter 17, the Lord says, Likewise, so what the Lord says, the Lord Jesus Christ, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, he's already told us as it was in the days of Noah, they did eat and they drank and they bought and they sold and they planted and they builded. Life carried on as normal. There was a normality to life. Even though there was a man like, like Noah that was building an ark, even though there was a righteous man, righteous Lot, whose soul was vexed with the wickedness, but the world just carried on normal. We live this way. We do this way. It's no problem. This is life. This is the modern society, the tolerant world in which we're living in. We'll just carry on doing what we always do. We'll build. We'll marry. We'll, we'll do whatever we want to do. We'll drink and be merry for tomorrow we die. We don't really take thought of eternity. It doesn't really matter. And so you see here the normality of life. Jesus said that they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But then in verse 29, this is what it says. Very important words. But the same day, that's important. The same day, but the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, the same day that Noah went into the ark, the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, what happened? It rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus, these are the words of Jesus Christ, even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. This is what will happen. In that day he which shall be upon the housetops and his stuff is in the house, let him not come down to take it away. He that's in the field, let him likewise. Don't turn back. Don't turn back in these days. Don't backslide. Don't go cold. No matter what happens, keep close to Jesus. Stay close to the cross. Keep your eyes on him. Because Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. The judgment in Noah's day and in Lot's day was not executed until God's people were removed from either the city or they were shut into the ark. Then, then, then clearly we're taught the judgment was executed. However, up until that time, God did not leave himself without a voice. There was a people, there was a man, there was a family, there was a people that were living and serving the Lord even in that time. Yet we see his mom is plummeting deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. Jesus says, as it was, so it's going to be. The Bible tells us in Second Peter that Noah a preacher of righteousness tells us of Lot. He was just Lot, a righteous man dwelling among them, vexed, vexed his soul. What was what he was witnessing? Are you vexed by the evil? Are you vexed by the wickedness? Now I want us to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to read from verse 1. So we see a progressive wickedness increasing and the restraint slowly lifting, and then a sudden as the people of God of the old were taken out. 1 Thessalonians 
chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 1. Paul writes, But of the times and of the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you, for you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord, so come as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come upon them as a travail upon a woman with child. Now I believe that's tied in with the beginning of sorrows that Jesus taught of in Matthew chapter 24. That speaks of a woman going into labor. I believe we're already in the beginning of sorrows. The pangs, the birth pangs have already begun. And so sudden destruction has travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are the children of the light. And the children of the day, and we are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch. Let us be a people of prayer, and let us be sober-minded. Let us keep our armor bright. Let us sing with all our might. For Christ is coming again. Wake up out of slumber and backsliddenness. Wake up out of tabling around in sin and, and all those things. Wake up, church of Jesus Christ. Wake up. Be sober-minded. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober. Let's put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet the hope of salvation. Let's put on the armor of God. Verse 9 says these words, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you glad if you're saved? That you're not appointed to the wrath of God. That Jesus Christ took your wrath on the cross. Of everything of our sin and our nature and every sin that we'll ever commit. That that was poured upon Christ on the cross upon his own body. And this morning we are not appointed to wrath. That's a wonderful thing for the church of Jesus Christ. We are not appointed to wrath. The wrath has been paid for through Jesus Christ. It says here, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. And whether we wake or we sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. The wrath of God, the wrath of God will be poured out upon this earth. Jesus taught us that. The wrath of God, the indignation of God, because He's holy and He's just, He will punish all sin. When you repent and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a wonderful thing. This is the great news of the gospel. Christ paid the penalty for your sin and has taken your wrath and your judgment for you and for me. Now we're free this morning. That's the one. We're not appointed to wrath. But the wrath of the Almighty is a reality. For all those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ, for all those who do not have the Spirit of Christ, who are not sealed with the Holy Spirit, for all those who turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ, not popular to preach it, not popular to teach it, not popular even to say it amongst, could I say it this morning, even parts of the body of Christ and in the church, not a popular thing, but the wrath of God. The wrath of the Lamb, the Bible teaches us. The great day of His wrath is coming. 
And the Bible says, who shall be able to stand? Revelation chapter 19, if you turn to it for a few moments, Revelation 19 and verse 11, it says these words, and I saw, Revelation 19 and 11, and I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as the flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself, and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in, were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth go with a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he had on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, He's the King of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. The Almighty God, the great day, the great day of his wrath has come. This is a reality. Listen, friend, to me this morning. This is a reality. This is coming. The wrath of God will be poured out as Jesus said, as it was, so it shall be. The wrath of God will be poured out upon this earth. That word wrath, the word wrath in the Greek simply means the violent passion, the justifiable abhorrence, the anger and indignation and the vengeance of Almighty God, the wrath of Almighty God, the wrath that will come. I'm talking about this for a reason. The Bible also teaches us about a great tribulation. That's the wrath of God. Just keep that for a moment. But the Bible also teaches us that there is a great tribulation, a, a period of time in the last days of great pressure upon the earth, great turmoil, great anxiety, nations against nations, pestilence, that's diseases, that will spread the earth. There'll be all those things in the last days. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said these words, Matthew 24 and verse uh, 29. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 29. This is what Jesus taught us concerning these things immediately after the tribulation of those days. What happens? At the end of the period of tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, the powers of heaven shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sun, the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and then they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. And they'll gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven onto the other. How many people believe this? I believe it this morning. The Bible teaches us here that it's immediately after the period of the tribulation. Now, the word tribulation means a pressure, affliction, anguish, burdens, persecution, and trouble. 
So tribulation and wrath are different. Do you see that? The wrath and the tribulation are two different things. I've heard it said so many times that God would never allow the church of Jesus Christ to go through the tribulation. I don't believe that. It is a Western... Now, if you theologically believe that, I respect that. I want to say that clearly. If you theologically believe in the pre-tribulation rapture, I, I respect that. But I've often heard it, and it's particularly in the West, that God would never allow the church to have a difficult time. How would God ever let us go through the tribulation, a time of pressure? Because then they say, because we're not appointed to wrath. But wrath and tribulation are two different things. Here's what Jesus said in John 16 and verse 13. If you have your Bible, turn to it. John 16 and verse 13. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me, in Christ, ye might have peace. Then what does he say next, John 16 and 13? In the world ye shall have, what does he say? Tribulation. Jesus actually instructed us that in this world, in him, in Jesus this morning, we have peace. Praise the Lord for the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Thank God that He is our peace. He has broken down the middle wall of partition. We can cast all our care on Him because He cares for us this morning. He is the Prince of Peace. In Jesus this morning, we have peace. But this is what the Lord said. But in the world, you're going to have tribulation. You're going to have pressure. Saints, we're going to experience pressure. I don't want to, to preach a cheap way out of this. Not if you miss the rapture or if the troubles come, you're going to miss all the troubles. You're going to have a bed of roses. Christianity is so easy to live this life. It's a lie. It is a lie. He said in the Word, you're going to have tribulations. You're going to have pressures. You're going to be troubled. You're going to be tested. You're going to be hated for His name. But then He says these words, but be a good cheer. Praise the Lord. I've overcome the world. That's the hope of the believer this morning. We will experience the tribulations. We will experience the pressures, the anxieties. I know some great friends who, who believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. I respect it totally. But brothers and sisters, there's a Western mind. There's a Western. You'll not find this in North Korea, by the way. You'll not find it in the nations of the world where brothers and sisters are in chains and in bonds for the sake of Christ and being martyred and shedding their blood for the faith that there is in Christ. You'll not find this type of gospel that says we'll miss it all. But in the Western led the same age, when we're full and we've need of nothing, we've got everything, we're blessed beyond measure. Our cups are full and running over with material blessings and we're in need of nothing. God would never put us through the tribulation because God loves us too much to make us go through troubles. Romans 8 and verse 35. Paul writes these words, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Do you know the first word that he mentions there? Shall tribulation... 
Shall the pressures, the anxieties, the tests, the trials, the troubles, the anxieties, everything that's going to come and press the church in these days, shall tribulations separate us from the love of God? Never. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. I will be with you even to the very end, saith the Lord. I will be with you to the end. You will endure to the end and you'll be saved. But my love, nothing can separate you from His love. In Romans 5, it tells us there in verse 2 to 4, Romans 5, verses 2 to 4, by whom also we have access by faith into the grace wherein we stand and grace and hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we, we glory, Paul says, and we have read of his tribulations, but he says we glory in tribulations. You imagine? We glory in tribulations, but hold on a second, Paul. We are not supposed to get tribulations because we belong to Jesus, and Jesus would never ask us to go through any troubles. Is that the truth? I'm looking across a whole bunch of people that are saved by the grace of God, and every one of you have known what it is to go through trials and tribulations. But don't you find that he's faithful? That his love never fails? That he's a wonderful savior? The pressures, the trials. Look what it says there. But we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation, what does it work? It works patience. You know what that word patience, the, the original meaning, tribulation works endurance. What did Jesus say? He that endures to the end is going to be saved. Do you know what tribulation will do? It will bring endurance into the church. It will bring an endurance that we know we, though we be slayed, though we have troubles, though we have trials, though the rains may come and the winds may blow, but he that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. There is this thought that exists that the church shouldn't suffer. I know we don't believe it here. That the notion really, in some ways, it really sums up everything of which we are a part of the Western church. That we don't go through difficulties. That God would never bring his bride through a tribulation. I believe the tribulation, the time of great pressure in the last days, is going to purify the church. It's going to cleanse it. It's going to shake it. Do Christians suffer? Do Christians suffer? It's okay, you're allowed to say yes. Do Christians have battles, difficult times? Does it rain on the just and the unjust? Uh, Sister Ruth sent a wee video through of Richard Wombrand of his life, his testimony. I, I would highly recommend that you, you watch it. Do Christians suffer? Brothers and sisters, we have brothers and sisters across this world today and in the years gone by from the early church right through to the Reformation, when we've seen, if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, if you read that book, it's a great book, it's a classic 
of what our brothers and sisters suffered for the sake of the gospel. Families were taken, brought out into the middle of streets and into the middle of towns and villages. And all together they were burnt at the stake because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They shed their blood. We're living in the benefit of that this morning. Uh, Brothers and sisters before us gave their lives for Christ, but we live in the liberty of that today. And just watching that video of one of the pastors who were taken and put in to that prison and beaten and put to that wall and then bringing his son in. And as that man hung in that wall and they beat that man's son to death in front of his daddy and they never denied the Lord Jesus Christ. Do Christians suffer? Have we a right today to say, Lord, you'd never put us through the tribulation? I don't pray that God would give us persecution or that God would bring me tribulation. I just pray, Lord, would you give us the grace in it? Because I know in a natural man we can't do it. There's nobody standing or sitting here today can say, Lord, just bring it on. I'll just take it all because I'm able to do it. I want to tell you something we're not. But I do know something that in all of that, that God will give us the grace of what we need because his grace is sufficient. You know, there's a hedge around your life. You're saved. You know, there's a hedge around your life. I believe it's the blood of Jesus Christ. I believe it's a bloodline around your life. There's a bloodline around your marriage. There's a bloodline around your family. I believe that God is totally sovereign and he's above everything. Satan came to the Lord in Job 1 and said, Does Job fear God for not? Has not thou made a hedge about him? Lord, you put a hedge around. See, the devil knew there's a hedge. Do you know there's a hedge around you? Are you glad there's a hedge? Are you glad you're hedged in? Do you know there's a hedge around your life? Do you know you're in the palm of Almighty God? You're in the very palm of the Father. Do you know this morning that you're hedged about? Not an awesome thought. That your life is completely con- in, in absolute the safety of God's great hand. The devil said to the Lord, You have made a hedge about him, about his house, and about all that he has on every side. Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But you lift that hedge, I guarantee you that Job will pack it in and walk away. Job's serving you because of what you've given him, the blessings that he has. I wonder, would that be the case of so much of the Western church? We're serving Jesus because of all the goodies that we have. I hope not. So the Lord says to Satan, I'll give you permission. And we read the story so often that we've read of Job that how the Lord lifted the heads and allowed the enemy to come in and plunder his life. And we read so much of everything that happened. And Job 1 and 9, it says, The Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for not? You've made a hedge about him, about his house. And all that he has on every side, you've blessed him. The substance of his land has been increased. And everything that happened in Job 1, 22, Look at the character of this man. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. What an impeccable character. 
and everything of what happened and all the trials and all the things that happened, Job sinned not. Not only did he not sin, but it says, nor did he charge God foolishly. He said these words, Job 19 and verse 25. This is what Job said. I know. See, it's good to know something. You may not know a lot of things. may not know all the great doctrines. may not be able to know all the Greek and the Hebrew. But I tell you what he did know. He says, I know that my Redeemer lives. And that he shall stand in the latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God whom I shall see for myself, and mine eyes shall behold, and not another, though my reins be consumed within me. I know that my Redeemer lives. And so we see here that anything and everything that happens in our lives as believers is under the sovereign control of an Almighty God. Everything that happens. God is in control. The pressures, the tests, the tribulations, the trials, what the church will experience in these last days. And I do believe that persecution will come. But in all these things, we know that he's in control. So there's a restraint. Remember Paul said there's a holy restraint. There's something that holds back progressively as sin and trouble and tribulation comes. There is a restraint that holds back the powers of darkness so that the wrath of God isn't coming, but that the Antichrist is held at bay even for a season. Then, at the end of that period, which could be at any time, the restraint is suddenly lifted. And everything of that Antichrist world and that Antichrist is revealed. Who is or what is that restraint? I believe that the restraint is the Holy Ghost. And everyone that is named by the name of Jesus Christ and has the Spirit of Christ, your life, no matter how insignificant you may think it is, no matter how weak in yourself you may be, but if you're saved this morning, if you are named and you have the Spirit of Christ, you've been born of the Spirit of God, your life is a restraint on the powers of darkness. Do you know what that means? See where you live. You may never think this. You may never know this. You'll maybe not even know this until you get the glory. But the world watch, the powers of darkness know that that is a child of God, that they are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ, that God has saved them by His great power, that the Almighty God lives in their heart by faith. And whether you're in your home, walking your street, in the shops, in school, in college, walking Main Street and coming to the house of God today, that your life is a restraint on the spiritual powers of darkness. Nothing of your own strength, nothing of who you are, but it is who that is in you. Because the Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So your life is a restraint on the powers of darkness. And we often have no idea the effect our lives have. This is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. This is important. Jesus said, you're the salt of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You are the salt of the earth. Your life, you are the salt of the earth. 
individually, we are the salt of the earth. And then he says, but if the salt shall lose its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Our effectiveness, our effectiveness as believers in this world. That's why the devil wants compromise. That's why the devil wants us to let it go, to loosen up. That's why the devil wants us to pull away from the cross, the blood, the book, the praise, the glory, and the honor to Jesus. That's why he wants to bring in all the worldliness into the church. Because then the salt is going to lose its savor. This is the restraint on the powers of darkness. Where will it be salted with? It is good for nothing but to be cast down and trodden under the foot of men. Jesus says, ye are the light of the world. We are a city that's set on a hill we cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle, put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. This is the day as gross darkness comes, but this is the day to shine for the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the day to have oil in your lamps and keep burning to the break of day. This is not the day to be compromised or backslidden or cold and hard or indifferent or carnal Christianity. This is a day to be having a good savor and also having oil in our lamps and be that light for the Lord. The shine, what's the definition of darkness? It's the absence of light. That's the definition because darkness can't overcome light and God is light. And light, we are the light of the world. You're to shine for Jesus. Have you oil in your lamp? Do you know Matthew chapter 5, the context of the teaching is the Beatitudes. When the salt loses its savor, do you know what it is? It's not enough that I know all the Beatitudes and I can tell you the nine fruit of the Spirit today and I can quote all those things. It's not so much that I quote it, it's what I am. It's what we become. Oh, I'm a Christian. What What defines us as a Christian? What defines us as a, well, I go to church and I, and I went through this and I went that and I went to Sunday school and I went to the lighthouse and I went to church and I've done all those things. You might have done those things and those things are good and right to do, but have you become a Christian by being born again and you're Christ-like? We're like Him. That's what it is, what we become. We become Him as the power of God is in our lives by the grace of God. And so the light begins to shine. And what about the gathering of God's people? What a restraint this is this morning. You may not think it. You may think it's just a Sunday morning to just sort of go to church and just tip it through and tick the box and do whatever I have to do. But brothers and sisters, if we don't get the revelation of what the body is and the assembly of God's people, the awesome thing, that's why we're instructed in the Scripture that in the last days that we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. He didn't see it as a meeting on a Sunday morning or a Sunday night or a Wednesday night. He's seen it as something so much greater and deeper. He writes in Ephesians 3 and 10. Look at it this morning. Ephesians 3 and 10. The assembly of the meeting of God's people in this fashion across this world, across this land this morning, everywhere, that believers meet in the name of Jesus Christ. This is what happens, Ephesians 3 and 10, to the intention, to the intent that now unto principalities and powers in heavenly places might be made known by the assembly, the manifold wisdom of God. Think about that this morning for a moment. That to the intention 
of all the principalities and powers that are in this world, all the demonic host, the Antichrist and everything, every place across this country this morning and across the nations of the world where people meet together in the name of Jesus Christ, there is a demonstration to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. This is the wisdom of Almighty God. You can't even grasp it. What do they look on and see? That they, that God Almighty has saved Tim McElrath by the grace of God. He's washed in the blood. He's adopted. He's a son of God. He's meeting together with his brothers and sisters this morning. And all of the principalities and powers this morning are held back by this meeting. That's what it is. I just thought it was a meeting. I just thought it was a building. The assembly corporately, there is a display of the wisdom of Almighty God, the principalities and powers, as praise begins to rise, as prayers are beginning to made, as he's remembered round this table, as he's glorified through the foolishness of preaching. There's a manifestation from this place, a savor that goes up, the principalities and powers in Balnehinch and all across this land and this town and all their fellowships in Lisburn and Belfast and down in Limerick this morning and Cork this morning, up in Newton Abbey this morning, brothers and sisters, where those precious brethren gathered in over this weekend and Letter Kenny and Donegal, wherever it may be, where God's people meet together, there's a restraint on the powers of darkness. As Christ is lifted up and exalted through the foolishness of preaching, through the praise of God's people, what happens in the heavenlies is beyond what we can grasp. But one day very soon, perhaps even today, you see, if we believe that the catching away of the church then gives us a seven-year period of tribulation, we can work it all out. But I don't believe that any man knows the day or the hour. That simply means for me this morning, who believes that the church are in or go through a tribulation period, that Jesus Christ could come this morning. He could come before this meeting's over. He could come by the end of this night. The soon and the sudden and the sure return of Jesus Christ for his bride. In 1 Thessalonians 4, as we're coming to a close, verse 16, 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16, the Bible says these words, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. He'll come with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and praise the Lord, the dead in Christ are going to rise first. The glorious resurrection of those that have died in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we, now who's the we? It's all those that are saved. All those that have the seal of the Spirit. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. That word caught up. You know, when you look at that original word, it speaks of a violent force suddenly and immediately. Every believer in this globe, all at the one time, simultaneously, the dead in Christ will rise from, from graveyards, 
from seas, from across this world, they will rise first, and we which were alive will suddenly be caught up into the sky to meet the Lord in the air. There is going to be a meeting in the air. You know, actually believe this. This isn't going on forever. We're fastly approaching. These are the last days. We're in the last days. I actually believe, I said already, we're in the beginning of sorrows. We're in the period of pang and the earth is groaning for the coming of the Lord. The coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Oh, we've heard that for years. But does it not say, as a man said to me, but Jesus said it's near. But if it was near 2,000 years ago and it still hasn't happened, then it said it's near or it's soon. You know what Peter says? A day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. Do you know what that means? There's only been two days. It's near. What he was saying to that early church is you always have to be ready because I could come at any moment. Because if you said, listen, you know, if you're sitting here this morning, I could come in an hour, 50 years, I'll just slacken off and take it easy. What he was trying to do is bring the urgency of the coming of the Lord. Bring the urgency of what it is to go out and win souls and bring them to Christ. What it is to know to get your family into that ark and pray them in and believe that God is bringing them in one by one. Praise the Lord. He's bringing them home. One by one, He'll bring them in. Remain on your knees. Be sober. Be watchful. Keep praying. Keep believing. Keep longing. And if you're in the midst of tribulation, listen this morning and anxieties and pressures. His grace is sufficient. He's doing a work. They which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so, and so shall we ever, so shall we ever be with the Lord. We're going to be with him forever. Wherefore, Paul says, you comfort one another with these words. You comfort one another with these words. There's going to be a meeting. Do you know, brothers and sisters, it's just those that are saved, washed in the blood, born of the Spirit. Every person that's born again are going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. All the denominational tags will be gone in a moment. All the, all the stuff will be gone in a moment. Because we're going to get a new body. And everything of you and everything of me. But all of this old is all going to go. And in a moment we'll be changed and we'll be like him. In a moment. Christ is coming. It's all around us. The dead in Christ. Glory. Are going to rise first. The dead in Christ are going to rise first. We which are alive and remain. We're going to be caught up to meet him. You know what it says? Two's going to be out in the field. They're going to be working and suddenly they're gone. Two will be in the house. Mum will be at the kitchen. She'll be doing the sink. Suddenly she's gone. You'll be working with your work colleague you've witnessed to, you've testified to, you've pleaded with. Suddenly you're gone. A grandmother that's praying and longing to see her children brought in. Suddenly that praying granny's gone. A Sunday school teacher who taught and sung and believed and cried and wept and prayed for you. Suddenly, the Sunday school teacher's gone. The preacher or the man at the back, doesn't matter, but suddenly they're gone. Just in a moment, a brother that's saved and a brother that's lost, one's taken and one's left. 
Just in a moment, in a moment, in a moment, we're gone. That's how quick it happens. Suddenly, like a thief in the night, without notice, but we're eating, drinking, we're marrying. That's great. Enjoying sin, the pleasures of sin. Just in a moment, it all changes. What to do if you miss that? I'm going to tell you something. It's too late. Listen to me, it's too late. Don't believe this stuff that goes around. What to do if you miss the rapture? Rapture. You miss the rapture, it's forever too late. You hear me? There's no second chance gospel. This is the day of grace. You miss that rapture. You miss the coming of the Lord. You miss that day he catches away his bride. It's forever, forever too late. In a moment, in a moment, we're gone. When do you think that could happen to him? I believe it can happen at any moment. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're gone. Tim, are you trying to, you trying to frighten us? Is that fear tactics? Let me tell you something. I heard something really wonderful about this. The fear of the Lord, the Bible says, is the beginning of wisdom. Isn't that what it says? Ray Comfort was dealing with the man. Caleb and I were watching it last night. He said this man, the man said to him about, you're just trying to frighten me about hell, all this heaven stuff and hell. That's just your fear tactics. And he said to the man, he says, fear is fear your friend or your foe. Now, I'm not talking about in the enemy sense, but the, God's holy fear is fear your friend or your foe. And he says, it's, it's my enemy. He says, no, it's your friend. He says, I'll tell you why. He says, if you're standing, and you didn't realize that you were standing on the edge of a cliff and there's a thousand feet drop, and somebody says, watch your step, you're about to fall. And you look down, that fear, and what that fear would teach you to do? Run from the edge. That's your friend. That's your friend. I want to tell you something. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Hell's real. This is the day of the Lord. Hell is real. You can play games with church. You can play games with parents. You can play games with leaders. You can play games with Sunday school teachers and youth leaders. You'll not play games with your soul. Because in a moment, we're gone. We're gone. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Because ready or not, the Lord is coming. And he's coming in the clouds for a glorious church. Saints, be ready. Be ready. Let's pray together.